There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com trash. It's definitively useless to at least someone, the person who threw it away. But it also is useful in the way that it can tell us a lot about those who left it and those who cleaned it up. And it's this part of the January 6th insurrection story that I've been curious about. Who cleaned up after the rioters on January 6th? Who really picked up the pieces? So a few weeks ago, I started making calls. Thank you for contacting the Department of Public Works. Turns out the Department of Public Works in D.C. really didn't play a part in the cleanup in the aftermath. I also called U.S. Park Police, which oversees, you know, the federal lands on the National Mall. And they said they didn't have anything to do with the cleanup either. And U.S. Capitol Police, you know, they said they really focused on the cleanup inside the U.S. Capitol, which was ransacked and in the grounds immediately around the complex. But as far as the question of who cleaned up after the rioters who started at the ellipse at the White House and trotted down Pennsylvania Avenue to the US Capitol, who cleaned up all of that mess? That question led me to this guy. Uh, Testing one, two, testing one, two. That's David Smith, veteran and founder of Continue to Serve. So who is David Smith? And why did he decide to clean up after the January 6th rioters? Welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Garrett, and this week we're going to focus in on this moment of the January 6th insurrection, when local citizens banded together to clean up after rioters came in from out of town to riot at the U.S. Capitol. And joining me now to talk about this is David Smith, founder of Continue to Serve and a Navy veteran who really gathered hundreds to clean up on January 10th in the days following the insurrection. David, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get to the cleanup of January 6th, where were you on that day? Where were you when the insurrection was happening? I was down there. I was watching it. Um, I I lived in D.C. That was my town. It still is. And, and out of all the places I've lived, I've moved a lot. I love D.C. That day was rough. And um, I had two two thoughts. You know, one was I need to get my, my family and I need to get get out of town um, because I don't know how this is going to unfold and it looks bad. But the other part of me was I, it was kind of like a car crash. You just can't walk, look away from, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to see it. I, I I felt, I don't know. I just, I had to be there. And and so, you know, we were, we were down there. We actually, uh, myself, another colleague for continue to serve, we had some, it was a really cold day. So we took some hand warmers and some snacks and we were actually handing those out to the homeless and then kind of just moving through and bearing witness to what was happening that day. Mm. And as you sort of, you know, watched this car crash, what was going through your head? I, I genuinely thought this is it. This is how democracy dies. It was very intense. You know, there were so many uh, weird things, too, uh, you know, I heard chants about burn your blue line flag because uh, they were so mad at the police for not letting them storm 
We're trying to hold the upper deck. We're trying to hold the upper deck now. We need to hold the doors of the Capitol. I need public support. You know, obviously I saw the, the gallows. Uh, I actually, like so many others, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I took photo, you know, in, in framing the uh, the Capitol building with the gallows because I was just so shocked to see that mm. right in front of the Capitol building. And then to hear people hang pants and knowing that there is a gallows out there, you know, and, and I have Marine buddies of mine that were, you know, that, don't live anywhere near DC that were like, Oh, well that thing wouldn't have held anyone anyways. And it was like, I don't, I don't think you understand the, the gravity or the point of mm. what all this means. You know, mm. there's people with signs saying, bring guillotines back. You know, it was just like, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it was just a very intense day and it just felt like we were watching it all fall apart. Mm. And so in the days after what kind of inspired you and continue to serve the organization to kind of, come back to that scene of again that car crash the insurrection the colleague that i was out there with we were walking around uh we actually ended up staying out there a little bit past curfew and we kept noticing all of these uh white nationalist or fascist organization stickers um all over the place on street signs on company business doors on just everywhere mm. uh, he was like scraping them off with a pocket knife he had and you know, I told him, I was like, look, like, I'm I'm a little nervous, like the police are around, we, we should probably go ahead and get out of here. Mm. But I promise you, we'll, we'll come back, we'll get a group of people together, we'll come back through here, and we'll clean all this up. Mm. The next day, we start planning that. And, you know, it just social media being what it is, it, one of my colleagues thought to uh, reach out to a couple of larger Instagram platforms on in the DC area. Um, once it got posted to that, it just took off like wildfire. Mm. And where we thought we might have 15 or 20 people show up for a cleanup, we ended up having over 350, almost 400 people show up. Wow. Um, and and it was just, it was it was shocking. <laughs> um, what did you literally find? I think this idea of what people leave behind, the trash they leave behind, kind of can tell yeah. you about who these people were. You know, what were the items and what did they tell you? Everything from, you know, as a, we, a lot of stickers, we also reached out to uh, some local individuals to help repaint, do murals over the top of graffiti that had been done, of course, obviously with businesses approval and tents, signs, just an epic load of trash, just, you, you know, uh, from people that had been out there all day walking around and they had just like left it strewn about from beer cans and soda cans to to food wrappers to to trump flags and banners and just a a lot of a lot of debris mm. um and you know things that were broken glass uh that was that was broken uh yeah it was just it was it was a mess mm. and i feel like we've all been in that spot where you know we've had to clean up someone else's mess and at least in my experience, you know, you actually can learn a lot about someone who leaves a mess behind from those items that you mentioned, tents, glass bottles, stickers. You know, what did that tell you about these people that came and rioted at the Capitol? I think after six months of listening to people talk about how protesters who are trying to fight for social justice 
who, yes, at times things got a little unruly, but they were people who are fighting for their lives is how they feel, as opposed to a more privileged part of society that doesn't experience as many of those hardships mm. and coming out and just destroying the facade of what is our capital city of our nation and doing so under the <laughs> under the argument that they're doing it to fight for the constitution you know it's uh, it's quite a disparity and david you know you chuckled at that use of the constitution which you know you as a veteran as a former service member took an oath to you know tell us about your service in the military and how that's kind of gotten you here I joined the military in 2007 as a hospital corpsman, served with the Navy for 13 years, spent some time overseas with the Marines uh, as a combat medic, and served uh, honorably for 13 years and had a, uh, a career across from, you know, the United States, actually. I didn't actually ever, I was never actually on a ship, which was kind of ironic. Mm. <laughs> and what drew you to the military? Why did you want to be in the Navy? I think 9-11 had a pretty big impact on that decision. My uncle, my, my grandfather was also in the Navy. So there is this heritage to that. My uncle was actually a corpsman. So mm. it just, uh, it kind of fell into that line. And um, I just wanted to do something for my country. You know, I, I wanted to, I don't know, be a part of something bigger than myself, I guess. Mm. And um, I thought the, uh, the military would, uh, would be that. Was it that? Was it bigger than you? And what was that like? I grew up hyper conservative. My father was a Baptist minister. I mm. was uh, grew up in rural uh, Oklahoma and Missouri. And since Afghanistan, for me, that changed a lot of my perspectives on things. Mm. Um, had a huge impact. And then uh, it was a decade of unrolling a lot of those hyper conservative ideas that I once had when I finally left, because the first time I ever left the country was to go to Afghanistan. So, mm. um, and David, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what sparked that change? What sparked or instigated, you know, that uh, rolling back that that shift in perspective? I had an amazing uh, linguist who I had countless hours sitting in the back of uh, our vehicle or on foot patrols and uh, talking to who allowed me to ask a lot of honestly ignorant questions, but just I didn't know what I didn't know mm. and um, had a lot of patience with me. And, and about six months after being in Afghanistan, I, I I was watching this baby that was being washed in you know, this really dirty water because um, they just pump water up from the, the ground and uh, with no filters or anything like that. And so they're just holding this baby in this like spigot. And, um, you know, I had this kind of epiphany moment of what would happen if I was born here. Mm. Um, why, why would that, why would that make me the bad guy? Mm. Um, and from that point on, it just really, you know, it, I grew up, you know, Christian background, but why is it that I've believed for so long that like Islam is, is this terrible thing, mm. right? Because I did, that's, that's how yeah. I felt at the time. And and now looking back, it's like, uh, wow, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's a much different perspective on things. Um, you know, I, I kind of have this saying that, you know, people go to war and they either find God or they lose him. Um, and, you know, I think I think war is a polarizing event for anyone who goes and the effects of you on you can be 
pretty grand mm. um, and can be life-changing. And it yeah. was for me. And David, just hearing you talk, I can't help but thinking about the Oath Keepers. You know, this is a group of veterans who claim to be keeping their oath to the Constitution. You know, a lot of those members have talked about their time at war, inspiring their action. And, you know, they acted surely on January 6th. And your organization continued to serve, you know, also proposes to keep your oath to the Constitution. You know, but these two organizations couldn't be more different, and especially on January 6th. How do you square these similar oaths, these similar missions, but disparate realities? No, absolutely. I, th I think this is the crux of what our mission has become. You know, we're trying to do our best to educate and empower and engage with individuals to understand our perspective on this. I can tell you with absolute certainty, had Rafiq not been my linguist, had I not had that time with him to see outside of my own circle on that deployment, I, you know, I could have easily have been one of those people uh, on JS6. Wow. storming the Capitol building because of how I was raised and not necessarily how I was raised, but just the environment I was raised in the people I idolized growing up, you know, Mark Levin, Rush Limbaugh, all these people that um, had these impacts on how I saw the world, but it was through a closed lens. And I think our mission and our purpose is to try to provide as much information as we can. Um, it's not our job to change anyone's mind. You know, everyone's free to be an idiot if you want to be, but when it comes to, how do you say who's right? I mean, you know, catchphrase is remember your oath, right? right. So we're, you know, uh, I didn't know who the Oath Keepers was when I came up with that. I probably wouldn't have used that one had I known that. But I just think all of this comes back to ignorance. And I just think it's really important for us to try and get as much information out there as possible. Because mm. that's what Rafiq did for me. It just simply provide me a little bit of perspective from outside of my own world. And I think a lot of these people that believe the way they do are stuck inside of these echo chambers. It, it created this radicalization in a way yeah. um, of people on both sides. Mm. And January 6th, you know, wasn't your first rodeo, you know, continue to serve your organization started actually in 2020 during the Black Lives Matter protest. Take us back to that moment. Sure. Yeah. So on June 1st, 2020 is when President Trump stood in the, uh, Lafayette Square, which is now known as Black Lives Matter Plaza, uh, in front of the church there. I was actually watching uh, the news that day. I was off work. I was at home and I was waiting for him because I had heard that he was going to speak with regards to the protests that had been happening due to George Floyd. Mm. And of course, this had been going on for months and really Trump hadn't said anything at this point. And so I was curious to know what he was going to say about it. And Watching what happened on June 1st, um, <laughs> uh, watching uh, reporters, you know, get hit with batons, uh, watching citizens expressing their First Amendment rights to uh, to protest, you know, um, and watching them get gassed, beat, um, pepper sprayed. It was uh, it was just gut wrenching. Um, and then to see that Trump was at the same time saying things like, you know, I support people's right to speak out and da, 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 da. But then he obviously was not. And it just, it hit me hard. It just felt like this is not, this is not what I served in the military for. This mm. is not what uh, I see America as being. 
Essentially, the next day, uh, a gentleman that I deployed with to Afghanistan happened to be going to school in, in D.C. And he you know, sent me a text and was just like, I, I don't know what to do, man, but we got to do something. Mm. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know what to do either. I've never done this before. Uh, he was like, well, I got some cardboard and some Sharpies, so let's go. And so <laughs> that was literally uh, the birth of Continue to Serve. We just wrote vets for BLM on the signs right? because we wanted to, you know, we just wanted to amplify this issue using a veteran perspective, using a veteran voice and and trying to show that even if we didn't fully understand at that time what was happening or why it was happening, we wanted people to know that they they had veteran support and especially after January 6th. Right. And so when you first started this, you know, after June 1st, were you surprised by how many other veterans kind of stepped up and, and became a part of it? Yeah, no, all of it was going in blind. I had never protested before. I had never been affiliated with any activism or uh, anything like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I really was. Initially, essentially what happened was I, I hopped on the Washington, D.C. subreddit and I made a post about kind of a, in a way, I guess, a call to arms of of like, I don't care what your perspective is on Black Lives Matter. I want all veterans and all, you know, any military that served, that took that oath when we were in MEPS, that Americans have the right to speak and they have the right to speak up. That's what our oath is to, is to the Constitution. Right. And so, I mean, the the post started to blow up. I, of course, was still technically in the military at the time. Oh, really? So I was very nervous. (laughs) I actually ended up taking the post down because it was getting a lot of upvotes and I was concerned that somehow it might be linked back to me, mm. you know? And so then uh, we had to, so I was like, I, I need to put this post back up, but how can I do that? And so continue to serve. I did a quick Google search. I did a quick website search. I couldn't find anything. I was like, it sounds great. Right. And boom, there it was. Wow. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we had, you know, a handful of veterans just show up out of nowhere. Mm. Um, and then from that point on, every, at least every weekend, if not throughout the week, we were at different events. We were involved in a number of either protests or direct action or um, local aid for various organizations. And so more and more veterans just kept coming out. And right. it, it was totally shocking Wow, uh, to me. I, I wasn't for sure how it would be perceived. Yeah. And I genuinely believe that the uh, the progressive veteran is probably the best kept secret in the uh, in the military. <laughs> right, because <laughs> so, so, they yeah. came out of the woodwork, it sounds. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, and you know, I think the, the biggest thing that I have heard in the past two years from people sending us messages, people sending us support, is I didn't know there were other veterans that thought the same way I did. Right. And I mean, you know, just talking about these two dates, June 1st, 2020 to January 6th, 2021. I mean, that span of time, the pandemic was raging. You know, there was unrest, as we've been talking about. It was kind of a hopeless time. You know, there's a lot of change happening, but things were pretty bleak. Now, two years out from January 6th, now three years out from, you know, the murder of George Floyd. Are you hopeful about the future? Um, I think we have a lot of work to do. I think... What was frustrating is when, you know, and of course, this is just me speaking as a as an individual voter, not as the organization. But Mm. when I when we they announced that Biden was elected president officially, um, we were actually at an event downtown. And I mean, the streets just flooded with people um, and in celebration. 
And, you know, so we were all happy that, uh, you know, Biden had been elected and Trump hadn't. Yet none of those people were there for the past six months. No one was engaging. No one was out there. I remember uh, in December when we were at the Supreme Court during one of the MAGA rallies, there was literally about 60 protesters that were standing against a crowd of at least 10,000 MAGA uh, supporters. And and so I think we need more engagement. I think we need more people to understand that if we don't keep holding our government accountable, they're just not going to drive. They're not going to resolve these issues. And and so I think we have a lot of work to do to try to, you know, I know not everyone has time or the ability to go out and protest and do those things. But I think we can create an environment where more people are willing to to challenge the status quo, uh, trying to have these harder conversations through education to kind of create a um, an environment where we can we can find change. I do think things are more hopeful than they were that day, for sure. Right. Um, I think why January 10th and the cleanup happened and so many people came out is people were just looking for something to be hopeful about. They wanted to get out there and feel better about um, their country than what we had just uh, represented. Mm. Um, you know, and so I think there's a lot to be hopeful for. Um, and I think there's a lot that I'm happy that we are in this place where we're at now, where we can uh, start to usher in some of these changes, some social changes that need to take place. But I, I, I just think that we have a lot of work to do because I, I don't know that there's enough people out there that think it's, it's uh, A, that their voice matters. I don't know that they understand how much of an impact they can have when they show up for, to an event or when they volunteer for, you know, uh, mutual aid or any of those things. There's ways where we can all help uh, kind of move us from where we were January 6th to where we, where we should be. Well, David Smith, founder of Continue to Serve, thank you so much for your perspective, your thoughts, and just kind of sharing part of your life and and how it's led you to this moment. Thanks for having me on. And before we go this week, the world heard one of the loudest echoes from the January 6th insurrection. Officials in Brazil are vowing to punish thousands of supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro, who stormed the Capitol on Sunday, hoping to have him return to power. Rioters overtook police and stormed government buildings, all in the name of overturning an election that they think is stolen. Jair Bolsonaro was their candidate, and he lost. But before doing so, he sowed doubt over the legitimacy of this selection. Sound familiar? Now, there are a few notable differences, and I don't mean to conflate these two totally. What happened in Brazil happened after the election was certified, unlike the January 6th insurrection. But it's almost impossible to not see the shadow of the January 6th insurrection looming over this riot in Brazil's capital over a presidential election. Meantime, we're still trying to figure out what exactly happened on January 6th itself. This week in D.C. federal court, Enrique Tario, leader of the Proud Boys, and four other group members are facing trial for seditious conspiracy. Testimony is expected in the coming days. The story of January 6th is still unfolding, and I'm sure there'll be much more we'll learn as time goes on. But for now, that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and of course on the WTOP News app. You can find this podcast wherever you listen. Please reach out with your ideas and rate the show if you get the chance. I'd love to hear what you think about the show. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll see you on Wednesday.